Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, my name is Carson. I'm with Troy. You may know me as Forge on my YouTube channel. I am here with Chad Odom, and he is a self-published author. Um, Chad, will you kind of tell us more about yourself and your books and kind of your, your journey? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me. Um, really, writing is something I've wanted to do since I was a kid. I've always loved to tell and to hear a good story. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm not much of an actor. So uh, <laughs> it, it came to one of those things where I, I figured writing would be the medium. And so the, the, the long and the short of it is that there's stories rattling around in my head since I was a little kid and finally decided at one point that I'd put them down on paper. And I actually was traditionally published first uh, through what's called, it's actually called a vanity publisher. Uh-huh. But uh, went through that route. That was back in 2010, which seems like a really long time ago now. Yeah. But that didn't go so well, ended up that they went out of business. And um, the, the struggle to get published traditionally is, is, is definitely real. It's out there. And so now I have this manuscript and these books, and I decided that I was going to do it myself. And that way, no one ever could go out of business on me again or uh, take control of what I had. And so two, almost three years ago now is when I started on the, the indie publishing route uh-huh. and, and doing it on my own. So in the most condensed version possible, that's that's the story of uh, where why I am where I am and how I got there. I think that's, this is fascinating that you didn't give up. Um, you know, that, that could be a blow to anybody. And one of the goals is to help other writers and to um, help inspire them. I think your story is very inspiring because you did have things going on that you're like, oh, man, this is going to click. It's going to do well. Or you have hopes that it'll go well. But then they fell through. And, you know, how how, how devastating was that? Like, do, did you, were you like, okay, well, maybe this isn't for me or... You know, really, there's definitely the the stars aligned in a lot of ways, because when I was growing up as a youth in my church, I had a friend that is now an indie author. Uh-huh. And so she had some books out there. She lived at the time she lived in China. Oh, wow. But my book was going on. And so we would, you know, sort of swap notes, mm-hmm. just little things back and forth. But her publicist, somehow, some way managed to live three miles down the road when it happened when the publisher went under there was a little bit of time where i just kind of thought you know that was a a tried and failed dream so let's move on i've got my nine to five it pays the bills let's not worry about it anymore right and her publicist actually came to me she knew i was an author and and started to talk to me about the indie side of things and what was involved and just gave me some of the tips and things that she'd been doing and that she'd learned over the years from working with the other author and and so it kind of it it sparked and and rekindled that that drive in me to tell my story um so i started to take a look into it and um realized that the the freedom that i wanted was really there and uh, i didn't feel like going and and finding somebody else again and going through that again Uh so Again, it sort of worked out right about the same time that things went south with a traditional publisher. That those people happened to be in my life, so oh, nice. That's really how it came to be. 
very cool that how things kind of work out like that. So tell us about your your series. You you have one that's sounds like it's complete, but you might continue mm-hmm. on with it, and then you have a new one that's that you're writing, the Legends of Vandalur. So let's start with the first one. The last is Archide. Is that Archide is correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, so the last Archide is. I say it's science fiction, but I use that term loosely uh-huh. because it's it's more science fiction fantasy. I'm Philip K. Dick, where I really have everything worked out, and the science isn't perfect. It it just says, here's the science, and voila, it works. So that's why I say it's loose science fiction. Uh-huh. But the design behind it, my, my two favorite areas of, of uh, study, I love history and I love religion. They're my two favorite things in the world to study. When we look back on history, we look at, say, Romans or Greeks or any other culture, and their religion that they believed has now become myth. And we tell those stories as myths. Right. So I took my own faith, which is Christianity, and I said, well, what if what if in a thousand years, Christianity is the myth? Mm-hmm. What does that myth look like? And what are the themes? What are the key players? Who are the, the main figures? And how does that all work out? And that was the the foundation, and I built a story around that. Okay. Um, to really describe, so your main themes are are redemption, and uh, love, the power of love, what it can do, and what it is. Um, but then at the same time, I am a huge. I don't know if you can see everything behind me, but massive nerd, and those are all Legos, and they're all Star Wars, and nice. So that's what I grew up with, and so I love that version of storytelling. Uh-huh. So I combined history, religion, and and religious themes, and and sort of took Christianity from, you know, everything is in there if you know what you're looking for. If not, it's just a really solid uh, science fiction story. But it also, again, to condense things down, in this particular story, there's a civilization that's very advanced, but with all of its advancement, it also creates or gives birth to a very evil person. And this person starts to take over and do these things and they can't stop them. They realize their backs are against a corner. So they they detonate a weapon. And what the weapon does in essence is it, it wipes the slate. It takes everything back to its beginning molecules. Okay. Before they do that, they launch um, clones essentially onto the other side of the their universe away from this weapon so they can start over without this person so it's that sort of adam and eve type scenario Mm -hmm. what they don't realize is is that he's found a way to to hide and so the weapon is devastating as it was it it destroys their civilization but he's safe oh wow when the series that i'm writing now is complete fantasy Uh it's not science fiction at all but i i wanted to build there's a whole universe there to play with and I wanted to build that, but I wanted to be able to tell any story that I had within that universe. So the second series, Legends of Andalore, that's out there now, the second book will actually be available here in 10 days, but it's still built in that universe. And what they did to prevent or to try and prevent this person actually gives birth to this story. But you don't know that right off the bat. Okay. So when you read the second series, they seem completely and utterly detached. And then as it goes on, you start to see the threads that connect the two. Okay. That's so fantastic. That's the basis. And, and that's uh, what I've got going right now. So is the last archive the one that you had sold? Yeah. The last archive is the one that was the one that started with the traditional publisher back in 2010. Uh-huh. 
Um, and that is, it was originally supposed to be three books. And when I went to do the indie publishing, I broke it up into five, but I reworked a lot of it, changed a lot of things around, added more detail, and then finished and published it the way that it is now. But that's the one that's finished, it's out there, it's done. And then this, the Legends Legends is a sort of a spinoff series. Okay. Fantasy, you don't know they're connected until later on. That's right. That's fantastic. Let's uh, let's talk about this control that you have as an indie publisher. Sure. So, how involved are you when you do the covers? I mean, you have fantastic covers. Do you say like this is kind of what I want, or do you just hire a, an artist and they do their thing? And sure. So, um, really, you have to know as an indie author, you you don't get the privilege of just being able to write. You have to be involved with every piece. Right. And you have to find good, reliable people. You have to find good editors. You have to find good cover designers. You have to good, find good formatters. And some of it you wind up doing yourself. Um, I like to draw. I like to sketch. I'm not great at it anymore. It's not really something I practice. But um, for the covers for The Last Archive, it's, it's the genre. You have to know your genre. Mm-hmm. So I went looking. I looked at artists. I looked at photo manipulators. I looked at all kinds of different artwork from different people to try and catch the feel that I wanted in those covers. And in all, in all reality, I'm, I'm glad they're not out there anymore, but I found someone who is an independent artist and they did it and they didn't turn out well. So for about the first three or four months that they were published indie style, the covers were terrible. Oh, really? Um, but I continued to look, continued to search, and I found a particular company called Damanza, D-A-M-O-N-Z-A. So a little plug for them there too. Mm-hmm. But I started to look at their sci-fi covers and they were fantastic. So I sketched really briefly what I wanted. And I said, here's the elements. Here's what I'm looking for. What do you think? And they said, well, let us shoot this. And they shot it back over to me. And I just, I was blown away with how quick they got it. Oh, really? And it was spot on, a couple little changes. So they, I stuck with them. Then when I went to do Legends, which was fantasy, again, I sketched it out and I sent it to the same people. And they said, nope, too specific. We can't do it. So again, started looking at, you know, Facebook and, and, um, Instagram, a lot of good artists on Instagram and um, wound up finding an independent artist who did just amazing work. And I reached out to her. She's actually in Russia. Oh, really? Uh, But I reached out to her and I said, here's my sketch. This is what I want. It seems like you do this kind of thing. What do you think? She said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Let me let me take a hold of this. So it really was, you know, I give the the very basics, just basic pencil sketches and the feel that I want. Mm -hmm and just some amazingly talented artists who put it together and make that happen. Yeah. All the covers are beautiful. I I was really a fan of them. Um, Your books um, are also on audible. Mm -hmm. So how did you go about finding a narrator for those? I had no, honestly, I had never listened to an audiobook in my life. Oh yeah. So I never, so to me, it wasn't really a medium that I considered because I either read paperback books or I read eBooks. Uh And so that's where I find my books. That's where I'm going to put, push them. My wife is a big audiobook listener. And so she kind of started talking to me about it. And, you know, you really need to find them. Like, yeah, yeah, that's down the road. I don't want to mess with that right now. Eventually it got to the point where I kind of thought, I'm like, you know what, why, why am I not opening up this other revenue stream for myself? Right. Really is what it boiled down to. So I got on to used Amazon again, ACX, and I went through Audible. And it's funny because... I, I was totally new to the process trying to figure it out. You, you essentially take maybe three pages of your book 
and you put it up and people do auditions. I pulled three very different sections with three, three very different feels and personalities to really see. And I thought, you know, maybe after a couple months, I'd have a handful of auditions. I had 48 auditions in 24 hours. Holy cow. And I had, I had to stop it. I had to, to take it down from, I'm like, I don't know, how am I going to narrow this down? So I whittled it down, whittled it down, whittled it down. And ultimately when I got down to two that I liked, I took it to my wife, uh, the publicist that is, uh, was working with my other friend uh-huh. and her husband, who are all big audiobook people. And I said, okay, you listen to this and tell me which one you think is better. And they narrowed it down. And that's, that's really how that came to be. But what's amazing is it is now probably the most consistent revenue line. It, it, it outperforms paperbacks every time. Um, it either paces or eclipses ebook every time. Oh, really? So totally worth it. But, and, and now, now that I've done it, I've probably listened to a dozen uh, audiobooks on my drives. Uh-huh. Um, but that's, that's how that came to be. That's awesome. Um, that's surprising that it outpaces, uh, paper, you know, your, your traditionally read books. Yeah. It, it surprised me too. Surprised me too. Cause I do listen so. to quite a bit of audio books, but I still like to have the, the physical form. Me too. As you can see behind me, I got tons of books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I, if I move mine over, it's, uh, I've got this at my computer actually right now is set on books to get it up a little is bit. It? So, yep. Um, <clears throat> let's go about some of your, your habits. Like what are your writing habits right now? Really? There's, there's two things that I do. Um, ideas come into my head all the time and I carry a little 99 cent Walmart notebook. And when I have a random idea, I'll just jot down the basics of it inside that notebook. And I, I date it. Um, and that's for when the laptop's not in front of me, that's how I do it. Or I'll think of a, a line of dialogue or a, a character that might be fun. And, and that's what I'll do to write down and, and just keep those things straight. When it comes time to write, there's, there's two places that I usually go. My office, which is where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. And then I have a basement that is a home theater room. And depending on the movements of my children, uh, I will isolate myself in one of those two spots. I usually turn on, I'm a big fan of film score, uh-huh. classical music film score. And I'll turn that on to, to drown out any ambient noise. And uh, and then I sit and I write. And it, it's really, I may have sort of a, a vague understanding of that chapter or that part where it needs to go. But I just start to write. I've learned over the years that I, I just need to get it out of my head uh-huh. because I can always go back and add or take away after it's out. But if I sit and critique every sentence, it's never going to get written. Right. And uh, so I just sit down. I usually clear. I, I My goal every day is 90 minutes Okay. that I write for an hour and a half. Nine times out of 10, that happens from like 10 to 11.30 or 11 to 12.30 at night. Oh, right. But so part of it's just a... a dedication to it of this is what I'm going to do. It's a discipline. But the other part is get myself alone, get myself where I can really, I think I, I, I write visually. So if I'm writing something, I see it like a movie. Yeah. And I have to be in a place where my mind can do that without distraction. And that's, that's kind of how I operate. Are you a full-time author? Are you able to do a full-time? Or do you have a job? So I have a job. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a job that pays the bills, but the job I'm at the point where I make enough off of writing that the, 
the job is sort of, sort of doing, it's sort of doing this number. Okay. Right. Uh -huh. So the, the goal being that, you know, unless I'm absolutely in love with my nine to five job that within the next few years, that's all I'll be doing is right. Fantastic. I don't know about you, what time you go to work, but like I have to be at work at seven 30 and like balancing family writing your job. That's, you know, I wouldn't be able to write like a, till midnight at all. So how do you, how do you balance all that? So I have, uh, I, I'm married. I have, I have five kids technically, but three are still in the house. Uh -huh. Luckily they're older. They're all teenagers at the youngest. So they're, they're kind of independent, do their own thing. But I get up every morning about five 30 and, uh, take care of some of the kids. Part of things I have to be at work. I'm at work by eight and then I'm home from work around five 45. And, and then it's really just, it, it's almost like having another job when I get home. Cause it's, you know, talk to my kids and help them where I can. Um, if my wife and I have something planned, we go, um, I'm actually finishing up my degree right now. So there's school involved in the mix there. So take care of my homework and my assignments that are due. And then it's, I wait for the rest of the family to be done. So when the kids are in bed, my wife will come upstairs to go to sleep as well. That's sort of my coveted time where I can do it. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten very, very accustomed to four or five hours of sleep a night. Wow. That's the other half. <laughs> of it. So <laughs> it's taken me a few years, but I can operate pretty well on very short sleep. I think the hardest part of it, honestly, is not, it's not the timing is more of the mental aspect because by the time I get to writing, everyone else has so pulled my attention that my brain is pretty tired uh -huh. by that point. But what writing has become is it's become that escape because I can sit down and write and I can be anywhere I want to be with anyone I want to be with at any moment. And so it really has become sort of that icing on the cake for me in the evening that checks my brain from all the other responsibilities and just allows me to soak myself into what I love doing. Nice. And uh, honestly, it resets me for the next day too. So for that hour and a half that you get, like, do you have a, like, do you have a goal each day? Like I'm going to write so many words or do you like, I'm gonna, I need to get this scene done or just 90 minutes, whatever I get done, I get done. 90 minutes is the, is the goal. Some, some nights I'll sit down and in, in an hour I realize that I've written two paragraphs uh -huh. and, and those are the nights where I kind of realize you know, it's just not in. And, and so I'll check out. I don't want to, I don't want to write garbage. You know, I don't want to have something that's so bad that I've really got to rework it later. Other nights I write might, might write for two hours if it's really flowing and doing those things. But really it's when the, when the imagination stops to produce mm. is when I stop writing. Okay. Again, I'll start out with something very basic. And then the next thing that I know, I've got this very elaborate thing and I'm really excited about where it's taking me. And I'll just keep going until that energy isn't there, whatever that happens to be. That's it. There's really not a, I don't try to go by word count, page count, anything. It's just, you know, whatever takes me to that point. Well, I think a key thing here is consistency. People think like writing a book is hard and it is. There's, there's certain challenges of it. But if you can consistently write, say, 500, 600 words, which isn't a ton, that's 200,000 words. And yeah, that's two novels. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It's so much, I think, success, whether you're a traditional publisher and indie publisher, whether you're a, a trash man, doesn't matter what you do. A lot of success is just discipline. Right. And it's setting goals and then saying, this is what I'm going to do and, and disciplining yourself to do mm -hmm. it. And that's, 
nine times out of 10, that's where people fail. I talk to a lot of other authors, uh -huh. some that are way better than I am and are way better off and some that are just starting out. And what I see nine times out of 10 is the ones who are just starting out don't develop that discipline. And especially the indie authors, what I notice is they become more marketers than authors. And, uh, and, and but their discipline changes. Uh -huh. So, but it, it very much is about discipline and structure, and that's the key to success in any kind. Well, being an indie publisher, you also have to kind of be a marketer too. But how, how do you find that yep. balance? Uh, part of it is help. You know, I, I definitely rely on people that are smarter than me and um, do those kind of things and just get me started. But the other part is just research. It's taking my time, whether it's a lunch break or, or whatnot, to say, you know, I'm noticing ads in these places. Mm -hmm. How are they doing that? What are they doing to generate that? Is it worth my time? I reach out. I try to network with other authors. What are you doing? What's successful? What's not? Um, you know, for the longest time, Facebook was really the place to be. Uh -huh. And then recently was just social media backlash over the past couple of months. It's been a whole lot harder. And so it's you've had to change the venue and, and find the readers and really go to them. So there is a lot of homework and research that goes into marketing, just like cover designer or, or editors. You really have to go out there and do your homework, find it. And then it, it, a lot of it's trial and error. Try something. If it doesn't work, switch it up. See if you can get it to be productive. And if you can't, move on. How long do you wait to see if it's being productive? Is it like a week, a month? Like when you Usually two, two weeks, weeks at most. most. Okay. Yep especially almost every place now is works on algorithms. So it takes a while for their algorithms. You put in the basic data and then the algorithms start to, to place that in front of people better and better based on the responses you get from the people that they put out there. And so you have to, you have to let it get started. You have to let it get a little bit of momentum and you have to put some money behind mm -hmm. it. Um, because like anything else, it's pay-per-click. And then what you'll start to notice is what's the, what's the turnover. So I'm getting a thousand clicks and one sale versus another area where I'm getting a thousand clicks and 20 sales. Mm -hmm. And and you start to sort of narrow down. And, and as you get used to looking at them, you figure out how to tweak okay. and, and make them more productive and make them work. And then you have to know, I mean, they, they rise and fall. So they're, they're good for a, about a month and then you have to stop them. And, and sort of almost let them go to sleep for a little while, put something else out there and then give it another little bit of time and recycle those. And they, then they tend to generate a little better. Kind of like the novelty kind of wears off a little bit and you kind of have to keep that spark. Yep. That you're, that's, that's a great way to put it. I'm going to steal it. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also like when you said, you know, sometimes um, when you're writing, you know, just go with the energy and, and let that flow. I find that people, people that I've talked to who want to write a book, they, they analyze every sentence. And you said, you know, you can't, he can't do that. You know, for me, when I'm writing, I just have to get it on the page. Cause it's so much easier to steer a car that's moving than when it's stopped. Yep. So when you, yep. when, when you're writing, like, when do you go back and do the edits? I know some authors will do that. The very first thing when they have their block of time that they're writing, they'll go back and edit the previous days and then continue on. Is that something you do or do you wait till the very end? Little, little combination of both. So uh, I will write one night and the next night that I go to write, the first thing I do is go back and read what I wrote the night before. 
and I'll make little tweaks, little adjustments. It just gets my headspace back in where it needs to be to, to pick up and make that feel fluid. Uh -huh. um, but I don't do any serious editing until it's done. Then I go back, I rework as much as I can. I do, you know, as with any story, as you move along, you realize, man, I really needed this earlier uh -huh. on, and I don't have it. So you have to add those. That's where my little notebooks come in and I'll make those notes. Um, but again, I wait until it's done. Then I'll go back and I'll make those edits and take care of it and uh, and get it to as polished and as perfect, I guess, is the word to tell my story. I'll get it as close to that as I can, and then it'll go through editing rounds. And as a indie publisher, you kind of have to pick your editors for that as well. You're really involved in yeah. Editing. So yeah, it is. So I have a group of about half a dozen people that I know and that I trust. When I finish up a book, they get it, and they're friends, they're family, but they're readers, uh -huh. right? I'm looking for readers. And they will go through, and I've got some that I trust to read it because they have great imaginations. I have some that I trust to read it because they're grammar Nazis and I need it. Um, and they go through with a fine-tooth comb, and they give it back to me, and then I go and I work through the changes that they've suggested if I want to take them. Um, so it goes through a round of editing for me, six other editors that are non-professional, uh -huh. Um, and it, and then back to me for another round of editing before I ever send it over to a professional editor that I'm actually going to to pay to do that work. So it goes through a lot of filters to be the best possible quality I can get. And so after it's gone through that, like how much does the professional editor change things? Is it, is it? Oh, sure. So editors are, they're your best friends and your worst enemies. <laughs> um, and if anybody's looking into publishing or writing a book and you're going to go the indie route, they, they are critical pieces to that puzzle. But a good one is going to test you. But a good one also understands that it's your story, not theirs. Mm -hmm. So what they're going to do is they're going to go through things and they're going to test every little thing that you do, whether it be something like, you know, I think I've seen that before, or this feels too... Um, used it's it's recycled don't do this or they'll move into this is fantastic maybe try this this seems out of character this seems out of place why is this here they just ask a ton of questions they really put it to the test good editors are good readers and they know what they're looking for right as a reader this is what would engage right. me and they also know the industry so they also know what will engage an audience but it's frustrating because when I get my edits back from them, like I have to really brace for it because I know it's going to be a ton of yeah. work. It's just going to be so much like reading their stuff and going, Oh yeah, dang it. I didn't think about that. Or no, you're totally off base. And then I get really mad because you know, no, this is my story. You don't know what you're talking about. And then I had to come back down to reality and say, but maybe from an audience standpoint, I know it in my head, but I didn't do a good enough job letting the reader know what that's mm -hmm. like or what that's going to be. Editors are wonderful. Editors are also completely frustrating, but good ones are worth every single penny that you can find. And how do you go through and sift to find a good one? Um, mine. So I had a couple of editors that I, they were too easy on me. Um, so I would send it out to them. Really. I mean, Google's your friend, mm -hmm. look them up, find them, you know, just to find a base. And then 
look at their social media platforms, look at all, do your own homework and kind of see what other books have they edited? What kind of things have they done to see if it's even in your genre? You know, I don't want to write a science fiction novel and send it to somebody who edits true romance. That's not going to help. So that's number one. Um, The first editor I had was just, it was like, okay, whatever. You know, there wasn't a lot of testing of, of what I did. Um, so I moved on to another editor and that editor, I mean, he, his responses to me, you know, if my book was 75,000 words, he had 73,000 words of edits. And it was like, this is just way too time consuming. This is never going to get published. If I'm reading just his critique of my work, that was too much. And then I happened to have, um, one of my author friends who said, Hey, I just took on these new editors. They did a great job. See if they're still looking. And so that one would be, was based on a recommendation, found them and they've, they've done all of my work. Nice. Since. I guess building a community and, and knowing other authors helps in that regard. Very much so. Honest to goodness. I feel like at this point I have sort of a team. They're not, they're not necessarily employed by me, but they're definitely mm-hmm. my team. So there was, they're the ones that I reach out to and, and I find them, but I trust them. And I know they do good work. And I know that they take their work with the same level of enthusiasm and professionalism that I do. So I built that, you know, falling in skin in my knees a couple of times, but I've been able to build a pretty good team of people that I know I can work with and that are going to do well. That's awesome. What are some of your hobbies? I know I can see the Legos in the background. Like what other side yeah. of, sort of, do you have other like geeky hobbies that you do? Oh, sure. So um, Lego's obviously a big thing to me. They're, they're just a ton of fun. Um, if we do this again in a year, you'll probably see like 10 more out there because <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely a hobby and an expensive right. one, but I'm a huge movie junkie. Um, 2020 was rough cause there oh, were a I lot know. of new releases. Um, but, uh, I've got some, some friends of mine, we haven't done it in a while, but we used to do a, a, a vlog that was all about, um, watching movies and making fun of stuff. And, uh, so we did a lot of that, which was a good time. So, you know, those kind of things, watching and sitting and talking about nothing, you know, why is this going into depth about some character in a movie? It really doesn't matter. <laughs> so that's always a, a really good hobby of mine. I'm uh, what I refer to as a socially acceptable nerd, because as much as I love Legos and movies and writing and reading and, you know, playing Pathfinder, Dungeons and Dragons, so that there's, I guess you could toss it into another one. I love board games. And uh, those things are all big, but I'm also a big sports uh-huh. fan. So I mean, I've got my, blues. my yeah. hockey jersey, my hockey hoodie on. Um, so I do love to play sports. Uh, I love to watch sports. I love to be out and to be active. And um, I have a son who's really involved. And so I love to go watch him too. But really from a hobby standpoint, it's anything that gets my imagination moving because you find inspiration in the strangest of places. Right. I, when I write, I've pulled things from books, video games, movies, board games, pictures, drawings. So anything that distracts my brain enough to get the creative juices mm-hmm. flowing, that's what I like. And it was- Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.